0: to the Global Gamers Podcast. We are back for yet another episode. Welcome Ed. back, Ryan.
1: Yeah, welcome back, Ed. It's good to, good to be here. I'm excited for this one.
0: It's a big one. Very, it is. very big one.
1: I think this game takes up more space on your gaming shelf than any other game. Is that fair to say? Absolutely.
0: But yeah, we are going to be, on that note, doing another review episode today, and mm-hmm. we will be reviewing our first area control game and it is going to be Ankh gods of Egypt nice yeah uh before we get into our review any cool gaming news or otherwise this week
1: yeah um I had I got a shipment to this week that I'm pretty excited about uh some games that I've been waiting on one is mind management cool Uh, Hidden. You've been talking
0: about this for a while.
1: Yeah, I've been hoping to get this one for a while—a hidden movement game that I'm pretty excited about—and also the Great Zimbabwe,
0: which we talked about last week. We did. So we're start. We're going to start checking off the uh, the 2023 most anticipated
1: <laughs> very soon. Yeah, we're going to at least make some headway on that, no doubt. Yeah,
0: and then another one you? that um we haven't played, but you got it recently is Blood Rage. Yes. And that's interesting because, as I'm sure we will mention as we do this review of Ankh, is that Blood Rage is part of a trilogy of games alongside Ankh and another game called Rising Sun. Right. They all are designed by um, Eric Lang and published by Simon Games with art by Adrian Smith. And they're all some kind of variant on um, area control. Yeah, And they're all based on some kind of...
1: mythology
0: ancient mythology Mm -hmm. mixed with fantasy from some part of the world so right rage is viking themed rising sun is kind of like a fantasy ancient japan yeah and um, gods of egypt guess what do you (laughs) what do you think let's let's kick this off because honestly i don't really have any new uh gaming updates really it's just kind of in the same old
1: I mean, you were you were pretty excited about an expansion that was announced this week, weren't you?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the expansion, and this just barely missed um, last week's episode. Yeah. The expansion for, the second expansion for Lost Rings of Arnak got announced this week. Yeah. The Lost Expedition. And um, it is going to be available sometime in Q3. So right. we'll be on the lookout for that.
1: Now ed this is the first area control game that we've done a review for yeah these come in a lot of different flavors but the basic premise is that you have some kind of pieces usually on a map of some kind
0: yeah and the you... uh the common colloquial way of putting it is dudes on a map
1: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> So, I mean, this could be anything from, like, old-school games like Risk Mm -hmm. all the way up to this Simon Games Trilogy, Ankh.
0: Yeah, and even, like, smaller, shorter games like Unmatched or uh, Conditiri.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting that, you know, in recent years, we've seen some of these newer area control games where, you know, you're not winning just by, like, Having the most people on the board, necessarily. Yeah, literally
0: taking over the entire world. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, let's get into it. Yeah, sounds great. All right. So, Ankh, Gods of Egypt, is the third game in um, this trilogy of games by Eric Lang, with art by Adrian Smith, published by Simon Games. This game was published in 2021, and uh, according to Board Game Geek, we have 2 to 5 players, um, 90 minutes, and a weight of 3.07 out of 5. hmm Yeah. So in Ankh Gods of Egypt, each player will play as um, an ancient Egyptian god. And each of them has a different power associated with them. And basically, over a number of rounds, events that are broken up by conflicts as many as five conflicts these gods are going to be duking it out to be the last god standing as ancient egypt shifts from polytheism to monotheism yeah yeah and so you're going to be doing this by gaining followers who you will also inevitably sacrifice which is (laughs) very morbid but you know if it's been known to happen um you're going to be controlling monuments such as obelisks, temples, pyramids, and even sphinxes in the Pharaoh expansion. Right, so and,
1: so yeah. like with the area control comes in not just controlling Land as itself, much of the map yeah. as you can, but specific strategic spots on the map yes. that are near these monuments.
0: Yes, and all of this is in the name of gaining devotion to your god, because ultimately the god that survives is going to be the one to reach the top of the devotion track first. So that's a basic overview of what this game is about. Yeah. And we can get a bit into the mechanics of how it's played.
1: There's a couple different ways to slice this, but I think the easiest way, just to like break it down simply... Turn by turn. Turn by turn, exactly. You basically are doing two actions every turn, and you have four choices. Mm-hmm. One choice is to move your figures you'll have your god represented by a piece on the board as well as um warriors regular warriors and you know some mythical guardian creatures that are you know special pieces that you will perhaps have an opportunity to add to your army so to speak over the course of the game um another choice is to summon figures this is where you're summoning warriors to to your cause, moving them from your the your you know pool. your pool yeah. to actually being on the game board. And then another choice is to gain followers. This is where you, I mean, followers in this game are basically the currency that you're yeah. using to it's, spend for things.
0: <laughs> in a very dark way. It's literally humans are money. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, this allows you to gain followers based on how many monuments you have a figure adjacent to yeah
0: your own or neutral monuments yeah yes
1: yeah at least that's at the start of the game over the course of the game you'll be able to like add some powers that will up the number of followers you're able to gain yeah and in and just tying into that the fourth option you have gets into that because your fourth one is to unlock an Ankh power, and you know, if you remember a game like Scythe where you're, you know, upgrading your abilities over time, there's a lot of variety here. Yeah,
0: and of the four the upgrading Ankh powers is definitely the most um, unique and interesting Yeah, because every player is going to have a board that is, you know, whatever god you choose, so if you have Ra, you're going to have the board that has Ra on it and on the left side of the board, it's going to say what your specific god power is. But then the rest of the board, everyone's is the same. And it's just going to have all the different Ankh power options in front of you. And there are four level one options, four level two, four level three. And you're going to only be able to do two from each of those. So you're going to have right. to make choices. Yeah. But that's cool because it means that like no two people are most likely going to upgrade the same way. And that in different games, you're going to you know, take a different path. Yes. And also uncovering Ankh powers is also um, how you will gain access to guardians if you're the first one to reach certain checkpoints on your board, yeah, which is exactly. really cool.
1: I think another thing that makes this game pretty well-balanced too and well-designed is, you know, you mentioned there are three different levels of Ankh powers and they kind of correspond to three different phases of the game almost. Because yes. in the first one, you're, it's basically ways to gain additional followers. So you're boosting your spending power early to get, get that engine going in a way. And then the second one, it's a lot about increasing your strength or your ability to marshal your forces onto the board.
0: And specifically they're, they're all tied to The monuments.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: And usually by the time you get to those level two powers, you'll kind of have a sense of which monuments... You want to specialize um, in. Yeah, that you have access to, that you already have, that you're likely to get, or that pair well with your specific god. Yeah, exactly.
1: And then in the third round, at this point, you're just kind of making a mad dash up that devotion tracker. And this gives you different ways to boost your increases in devotion towards the end of the game.
0: Yes, And so, as Ryan mentioned, on each of your turns, you're going to be doing two actions, and you're going to be moving a little marker along um, tracks that correspond to each of those four actions. And any time one of those markers reaches the end of the track, it's going to trigger what is called um, an event. And so if you trigger an event, first off, if you do that on your first action, that's it. You don't get a second action. So you right. can, that makes you like make really tough choices sometimes, or it can allow your opponents to really corner you into, you know, making choices that you may not have wanted to, which is really interesting because you can kind of mess with people in this really interesting way.
1: Right. Cause it's, I mean, this is really what sets the tempo of the game in a lot yeah. of ways.
0: Yeah. Because um, every time you trigger an event, you're going to again, move along this event tracker and it will tell you which type of event will be triggered. And there are three types of events. Yes. So the first type, and this is the one that will show up most commonly, is um, to claim a monument. And what that allows you to do is that if you have a figure adjacent to a neutral monument, you can claim it. Or if all the neutral monuments have been claimed later in the game and you're adjacent to someone else's, you can take that. You can claim it from them. Yes. Um, The second type of event is called the Camel Caravan. And this is really interesting. And I don't know that I've seen this in any other game, to my knowledge. Yeah, I can't, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, but what it lets you do is that basically the board is a map of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it is split into different regions. And you're going to fight region by region anytime you trigger a conflict. And, what the, and basically, it is broken up by rivers. Yeah. Um or if you play some of the scenarios and there's so many scenarios, it'll have some camels bin- built in. Right. But basically anytime you get to build a camel caravan, you get six camels and you can use up to six of them to subdivide
1: one of the- those regions
0: yeah. and so create new regions on the board. And because this game is so um focused on sequencing like choosing the order in which regions will fight can be really important and beneficial to you long-term in a way that may not seem like a big deal at first, but once you get a game or two down and you figure out how this game really works, it's really important. Yeah. Um, And then the final type of event is the most important one, and that is a conflict event. There are five conflicts in the game. The game could end before one of those, uh, before the final conflict, if someone reaches the top of the devotion track. Um, but you can have up to five. And basically what happens when a conflict is triggered is whoever triggered it will get a tiebreaker token that they can use um, once per conflict in any battle of their choice. And then what Ed, you're going to do... J-
1: could you just distinguish a second what you mean between battle and conflict? conflict?
0: Yeah, I'm going to get into that. So okay. basically the conflict is the whole event that can be broken down into multiple battles okay and so one per region you're gonna go region by region starting with region one so this is again where that um sequencing is important because you're gonna go from one and work your way up right and if someone controls a region all by themselves and there's no opposition in it that's called domination and they will just get devotion and you get devotion one for domination and then one for each monument majority you have right so if you have one pyramid and no one else has a pyramid, you have the majority of pyramids. If you have two temples and someone else also has two temples, no one has a majority. So you do that for um, pyramids, monuments, and obelisks. And if you're playing with the fair expansion, sphinxes. Yep. But if you have a situation where more than one person has at least one figure in a region, you will do a battle. Yeah. And so what that will look like is that each player will get just standard. I'm not talking about any specific god or guardian powers, but standard, you're going to get one strength per figure you have. A figure could be a warrior, your god figure, um, or a guardian. And then in addition to that, and this is a really cool way this combat works, is that you're not like rolling dice or anything like that. You are going to play a combat card, and each player has... An identical deck of seven combat cards mm-hmm. and so you're gonna choose one that you want to play face down your opponent will play another one face down and then you'll reveal them at the same time and they're all unique and they will um you know they will clarify what they do to help determine who won that conflict like, some of them are straight up adding strength to you like the chariots card is just plus three strength
1: yeah
0: um, Some of them allow you to build a new monument or will give you added benefits if you're on fertile spaces versus drought spaces. And then one of them will let you pick up all your previous cards. That's kind of how it works.
1: No, and I'm glad you highlighted that overview, even if we didn't get into all of it. But just one theme I want to hit on here is... The first time I played this game, I thought, oh, I need to win every battle. Mm,
0: I'm glad you're bringing this up.
1: Well, I mean, the lesson I learned is that you can easily in this game get so caught up in winning a battle Uh that you lose track of the overarching objective of earning devotion. Yes. And you can very easily, if you're playing your cards right, lose a battle strategically and gain more devotion than you would have by winning it.
0: Yeah, or the person who won gained. Yes. Yeah, and that's, that's something that, I mean, I was going to bring that up in um kind of like my tips or strategies, yeah. but that is really one of the really cool keys to this game. And from what I understand, it is something that is also present in Blood Rage and Rising Sun. Right. And I really appreciate that because I think it's, I mean, as much as I love a game like Risk, Um. It can get to the point where someone is just so far ahead and has so many armies that, you know, you're just kind of rolling dice until the game ends exactly how everyone knows it's going to end. Everyone what this does knew is a that, half hour ago. Yeah, yeah two hours ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what this does is that it really increases the range of possibilities and strategies for how you could win a game of Ankh. Yes. So you could just have a strategy of summoning a whole bunch of figures and your opponent thinks that you're going to be really aggressive, but actually you're just going to play the card that lets you get a devotion for every one of your figures that die in the battle. And so because you psyched them out um, by bluffing, they might win the combat and they'll get a devotion for winning the combat, but you're going to get like five devotion because five of your figures died. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool.
1: Well, and then if you play your Ankh powers right, and you can summon extra figures, it might not even set you back that much to lose more figures than them.
0: That's that's right. That's true. Mm -hmm. The only other thing that I think is worth mentioning, and we should definitely discuss this, um, is that the third and fourth conflicts are really important. Mm -hmm. So the third one is really important because it introduces the mechanism in this game that is the most controversial and this is the merge so if you are playing ankh with three to five players what will happen is that at the end of the third conflict um conflict the two players that are the furthest back on the devotion track right will merge together into one god um yeah. and basically play as a team so what will happen is that um the player who is the furthest behind will surrender all their followers and their guardians to the person who is second to being last. And, you know, then they will get rid of all their other places, yeah, all their other um, belongings, all their monuments will be destroyed. And then they will both drop back to the furthest spot uh, where the last player was on the tracker and they will play together yes. and have both of their God powers.
1: Right, and um, when and when you say play together, you mean like they will play together as a single player.
0: Yeah, on a team and yeah. make decisions collectively for the rest right. of the game. Right. Um, and so that is meant as a catch-up mechanism so that you have double the god powers, you're pooling resources, um, all of that.
1: It also keeps all players engaged because, one, you don't want to... Necessarily be in last, but then it's not a deal breaker. And even if you are like, you're still going to be engaged through the rest of the
0: game. It's similar to what we were talking about with the with the way combat works. Yeah, it gives players who are behind a reason to also stay strategic. Yes, because you may not want to be really aggressive if you're second to last against the person who's behind you because you don't want, you don't want them to be too far behind because you don't want to drop further right. back when you do inevitably merge you want them to be strong so that together when you merge you're in a good position yeah um so this is this is very controversial though because some people don't like this mechanic because they think you know what was the point of me you know investing in this game claiming monuments developing all my stuff and basically you know being autonomous if halfway through i'm gonna lose it all um and i guess this is also it to an extent depends how you feel about co-op games because one Mm -hmm. of the common criticisms i think of a lot of co-op games is that one person ends up kind of dictating to the team what they think everyone should do on their turn and i could see that maybe kind of happening but that's
1: but I don't know if you that's can a personality hold... thing. Yeah, yeah, you can't hold that against the game necessarily. That's more yeah. about the people playing it than anything else.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I I don't mind the merge. I like it. And yeah. as I I mean, we discussed this on our top ten episode, but I have been on both ends of it, and I've had fun both ways. Yeah, and I've seen it work where the players that merge catch up and win, and I've seen it where the person who was ahead anyway still pulled it out but it was a much narrower victory than it would have been and therefore it was more a more tense yeah. and fun game all the way to the end yeah how do you feel about it
1: no i agree with you it's uh it was it it took a little bit to wrap my head around the first time because i don't the first and second times i played the game like i don't think i was thinking about it till the th- turn before the merge actually happened whereas once I'd played the game a few times and knew it was coming, you can kind of plan for it a little bit a few turns in advance and try to set yourself up to, like, I mean, like you said, like, ensure that if you are in one of those final two spaces and going to be part of the merge, likely, that the person in last place doesn't end up too far behind.
0: I think that part of what maybe has made this game get a little bit glossed over is that some people ding it in reviews because of that merge mechanism? And I would tell people, really don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, it does not impact a two player game at all.
1: Right, because it doesn't even happen.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And for um, higher player counts, there is a scenario in the scenario book um, where there are several scenarios to choose from, which is great for replay value, but there is one that specifically does not include the merge. And also, if you really want to, you could just not play with it. It's your game. Do what you want. You you bought it, right? Um, but I think also playing it the way it was intended is really fun. And again, like this is not a mechanic that you see in other games. It, so it was a
1: it was a, it was kind of a big risk for them to introduce something like this. And like, yeah. I I admire that honestly. And I
0: figure like, yeah, it, it must have definitely been playtested because again this isn't this isn't the first in this trilogy it's the last in this trilogy right and it's definitely just trying something new and i think considering how many area control games there are out there it is really nice to see when games try to do a unique spin on it you know the same way that people felt a few years ago when games that weren't risk (laughs) started coming out and doing well um i think like scythe was really a big deal in this arena um with you know like that mix of bidding and the combat cards and I think this is very similar so I think definitely yeah um I think having an open mind to it is great and then just in terms of the combat events I'd also mention the fourth combat so for everyone that made it through the merge and is still going strong at the end of the fourth combat and this is another controversial thing is that so the devotion tracker is divided into a red area and a blue area mm-hmm. the red is just about the first half of it and if you're still in the red by the end of the fourth conflict you get eliminated from the game this could happen to nobody most of the time it happens to nobody
1: i um, i don't think i've ever I've seen it i've never seen it
0: maybe it happens more often like a five player game that i could maybe. see maybe yeah, yeah. cuz you have more like division of the monument control yes
1: um but in a two player even a three player game
0: you've i've never, never seen it. it yeah and then also technically it could be this it could be the case where everybody is in red in which case everybody dies and no one <laughs> wins the game that is possible yeah. but again never seen it and you know what i understand completely that player elimina- elimination kind of sucks and it is one of the things that people don't like about games like risk and monopoly and it has largely vanished from modern game design but I am okay with it in this case because, as I said, there are five conflicts in this game maximum. This happens only at the end of the fourth one, and there's only one um, other event between that and the final conflict. So there's not that much game left. And at that yeah, point, if you're you talking you didn't... two three turns, probably yeah, Maybe like a few if more. you're that far behind at that point, you're not gonna win, especially if you didn't merge and. It would just save everybody a lot of time and keep the pace going really strong. If for those final couple turns, maybe 15 minutes, yeah, you just look on at that final conflict, which you largely would have been doing anyway because you weren't going to win the game. I guess one thing I do want
1: to bring up before we even get into the expansions is we, you know, you mentioned that there are 12 different gods you can choose from. There are also loads and loads of different, like, guardian like pieces with special abilities too much to get into all of it Yeah, but and the
0: setup scenarios as well
1: exactly but i was just wondering just to for illustrative purposes to give people a taste what's one or two of your favorite gods in the game
0: Ooh. so i'm gonna say a moon is one of them okay um, and a moon for example his special ability is that he gets to use a second combat card um, during one of the battles per conflict. Mm-hmm. And you'll just have to declare that at the beginning. So this is really good in just giving extra flexibility and an extra opportunity to just play one more card. And I think it's a really strong ability, and it's also a really good one yeah. for first-time players. So if I'm playing with someone who hasn't right. played, I would say I'd probably give them a moon.
1: Yeah. Um. And for the for the listeners out there that are not well-versed in Egyptian mythology uh which god is a moon <laughs> Oh
0: so he's kind of like I mean it's kind of it's kind of tough with the Egyptian mythology cuz some of the gods kind of change their meanings over time and they merge with one another Yeah yeah but Amun is kind of like the creation god and he is one of the highest gods in the pantheon mm-hmm. and he is commonly depicted as he is in this game with a ram's head um, Got it Yeah what about you which god stands out to you
1: yeah i think i there are two i want to mention the the first one i want to mention is osiris and Mm -hmm. osiris is the one i was most excited to play the first time i played um just like god of the dead seems like a really really cool idea
0: he also has one of the coolest figurines like it's definitely one of the tallest and he has like this awesome ripped up cape and a bunch of followers kneeling at, at his feet as he kind of floats above them. It's it's really cool.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's one thing we didn't talk about enough in this game and maybe we should get into at some point. The the miniatures in this game oh, are next will. level. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, Osiris has these, after he loses a conflict, I believe, he can place what are called these underworld tokens on the board. He has up to three of them. And after that, he's able to like, When he summons figures, summon figures to those spots as well. Yeah, so
0: he gets, like, added summoning power. Which, again, very thematic with the whole necromancy underworld theme. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Um, But, like, I will say, once I had actually played with him, he's fun, he's entertaining. But there are other gods that I enjoyed playing more. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the ones that I had a lot of fun with was was Bastet. And with that one, this is, you know the mythology better than me, but a cat goddess?
0: Yeah, she... So, and it's kind of funny, because for those of you uh, Marvel fans in the world out there, the Bast god from Black Panther is the same god.
1: No joke. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah,
0: Even down to being purple in this game. Yeah. Um. So it's like a cat goddess. I don't exactly know what she symbolizes, but yeah, yeah. large cats in particular.
1: Right. And basically her power is she has these little tokens that she can place on the board, right? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, each one does different things, but, you know, other players have to guess which of the ones she's placed in different places and... If they guess correctly, they come off the board, but if they guess wrong,
0: they die. They die. Yeah, it's cool. And I mean, I think all the god powers, I like them all. They're all very different. I think they're not all exactly as strong as each other, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But none of them are like going to break the game. I think that they are just a perfect amount of asymmetry without being too much, which is nice that balance
1: um, i think you're right about that balance in fact i remember a while ago we played a game of this and you beat me and i think you beat me without using your god power once yep was it that
0: happened sometimes was that when you i think were i you, think i was isis i think yeah. you were
1: i think you were isis that game yeah game. and
0: i think part of that is like i won't get into describing what she does but i think some of the god powers as well are designed to be more effective at different player counts or in yes. different scenario setups absolutely as well. um which just, again, adds to the replay value of this game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think talking about the gods is a good way to get into the expansions. because, Sure. Um, for those of you out there who are you know, interested in the theme and getting all these gods, good to know where they come from. So the base game itself, as Ryan mentioned, this game has a total of 12 gods. Mm-hmm. The base game comes with five of them. And I think they're the perfect five for the base game because I think they are the most accessible. And those are Amun, Ra, Isis, Osiris, and Anubis. And then the first expansion that we can just briefly touch on is the Pantheon expansion, which is just five additional gods. And those are Bastet, Hathor, Horus, um, Set, and Thoth. Forgive my pronunciation, but I really like him. But I don't know if that's the correct way to say it. Uh, the Monkey God, he's Sounds very cool. Good to me. Yeah, and then the final two. So that's just that's the Pantheon expansion. There's nothing else to it. It's just more gods. Mm-hmm. The final two gods, Sobek and Ta, they are Kickstarter exclusives. So the only way to get them is at this point, if you were to buy the Tomb of Wonders expansion box second. Hand from ebay or somewhere online it is not available retail um so it's not easy to get and it not cheap to get which is you get very lucky
1: which is a shame because those are some of the best gods
0: yeah but that's what that's a big kind of ding i have against the way simon oh we'll we'll get into that yeah um but those two gods are very cool And the Tomb of Wonders, other than that, it's basically a big upgrade box. So another thing is that it comes with a ton of additional Guardians, Mm -hmm. um, which are really, really cool. And again, it's annoying that they're Kickstarter-exclusive because there are more Guardians in this box than in the guardian box that is available at retail yeah um and then other than that the tomb of wonders just comes with upgraded components so you get 3d monuments which are very cool to have on the board because the base game itself just comes with cardboard um two-dimensional ones right you get upgraded plastic follower tokens so that's like plastic coins instead of cardboard um and then just some plastic and metal um tracker tokens and things like that yep um, so that's the Tomb of Wonders. Oh, and the action and devotion boards are upgraded from, like, a more flimsy card stock to um, full-on cardboard. So this the, the Tomb of Wonders, just the two additional gods, guardians, and lots of upgraded components that are really, really nice.
1: Right. So most of the expansions don't change the gameplay no. really at all. But yeah. there is one that does. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah.
0: So just very quickly, the other two expansions... The Guardian expansion is just more Guardians. And then the other Kickstarter exclusive box is Divine Offerings, which again is just upgraded components. It's upgraded um, Ankh tokens from cardboard to plastic and upgraded player boards from stock to cardboard. And then the one and only gameplay expansion is the Pharaoh expansion.
1: It doesn't change the game dramatically, I would say. No, no,
0: no. Um, so what it does is kind of has two things. So the first thing is that, as the name suggests, there's a Pharaoh. So there's a big golden Pharaoh figurine who's on the board at the beginning of the game. You choose which Pharaoh you want to play with. I think there are five different ones to choose. And then for that game, you're just going to follow whatever the rule set is for that Pharaoh. And it will usually be that being in that Pharaoh's region will either help you or hurt you. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of like moving the fair around the board strategically. And the way that you're going to interact with it and do some other things is the other part of this expansion, which is it introduces um, the Royal Palace, which has four rooms in it.
1: And this is a secondary game board. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, so
0: you can like put it alongside the action tracker and the devotion tracker. But basically, when you do the move or summon actions, you'll also be able to move or summon priests in the royal palace and move them between rooms. And every time someone does the claim monument event, you'll kind of resolve the royal palace and whoever has a majority in each of the four rooms will get to do the nice benefit associated with um, that room, which can include building sphinxes, which are kind of like wild monuments, moving the pharaoh, um, getting more followers or claiming um, a political card and there's a deck of cards that are called political cards that will kind of give you like additional abilities that you can use throughout the game yeah and that's that's basically the fair expansion yeah
1: um i mean gameplay wise it's it reminds me a little bit of wayfarers where you have the three guilds and each one has a little yes. power I didn't associated even think of that. with
0: it yeah i guess like each of the rooms is a little bit like the guilds and wayfarers of the south tigress and then the way that the political cards are face up, it's almost like Lost Ruins of Arnak, mm-hmm. the marketplace where you yeah. kind of draft cards. I wouldn't quite call it deck building because you don't get enough of them.
1: Yeah, it's for it to really It's count, not the but... main feature for yeah. sure.
0: Um, what do you what do you think of it though? Like, I think I think have I, you gone to play it once or twice? I,
1: I've only played it with the Pharaoh expansion once or twice, and honestly, I didn't interact with it much. It, mm-hmm. I, I paid i would say 75 80 of my attention to the main board didn't do a ton with it and still did fine in the game
0: yeah well i mean it that's kind of what it is though like yeah, you can't exactly. do too much with it so it's nice to have i think especially for um you know people who have played before it's just a little added yeah of bonus something else to do but it's not a huge change yeah um which I respect, because I yeah. don't
1: think the base game needed huge changes no, to anyway. No, and then again, anyway. like,
0: when you factor in, just like, even in the base game alone, the five different gods, all the different combinations of guardians, the different oh, ways yeah. that you can upgrade your Ankh powers, all the different scenarios you can play, um, there's so much replay value. And when you start just, like, piling on the additional gods from the Pantheon expansion or the Tomb of Wonders, the Guardians from the Guardian's box or the Tomb of Wonders, and now this. I, as I mentioned in our top 10 episode, I think I've played this game probably approaching two dozen times. And I still have only just scratched the surface of what you can do because yeah. most of those, I didn't have the fair expansion. um, And like... Well, and then I haven't played yeah. most of the scenarios still because well, I usually play the basic one most of the time.
1: Right. Well, and th- not only that, but like the variability is almost doubled in a way because not only do you have twelve gods and countless m- guardians to choose from, but you're going to be going up against a different opponent and most exactly. of the time too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or multiple opponents, depending on player count. Yeah. Yeah. And then even how the board is divided with the camel caravans. Yeah. Yeah, it it's just great replay value.
1: I know we kind of got into some gameplay tips already. I yeah. do have like one other thing okay. to yeah, say on before. that. I mean, this is true of a lot of games nowadays, but I think it's especially true of this one. I don't think you can go into the game with a set strategy necessarily, because especially if you're only looking at which god you are, the god you are and the power that it has will inform your strategy, sure. But, like, you you also have to factor in which god you're going up against, what theirs is. You also have to factor in which of the Ankh powers you choose, your opponent chooses over the course of the game. And who ends up with the guardians and what their special abilities are. Because, you know, some of those guardians introduce some really unique things that can really throw a delicate balance in a battle or even like control of a monument. And if you go in with a with a set strategy of like, okay, I'm gonna focus on building all of this kind of monument, you know Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably not gonna work out. You have to be adaptable.
0: So yeah, best and worst.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Do you want to kick us off with best?
0: Sure. I'm gonna go um a little bit superficial on this because I already (laughs) praise this game a ton in our top 10 episode. So I'm going to use the same word that I use in our quacks of Quedlinburg review, but I used it in that episode as a worst. And this one, it's a best production. Yes. So I really want to use this opportunity to talk about the way this game looks.
1: It's an, this game
0: has really awesome artwork on the gods and the guardians and everything. Um, Adrian Smith, the artist did a really great job. And I think, um, particularly like having seen the work he did on blood rage, that stuff was good. And then rising sun is great. And then by the time you get to this one, it's like, Whoa, this this is awesome. Like down to the fonts. One thing I wish I had for this was there was an art, um, an art book that you could have gotten with the Kickstarter. And I, I would honestly like it if I could get it because it would just be so nice to just have, because I love the artwork in this game so much. Um, and then also in terms of presentation, this game does an awesome job with the, the iconography. It's very clear. Everything is big and readable. Um, everything is well color-coded. The board itself is very simple and elegant, but also looks really nice. It's crisp. Um, yeah, it's yeah. just green and yellow and blue. And that's it with little um, hexagons. and But at the same time, it's a map of Egypt. And if you look closely, you'll see fun little details like ruins and animals and statues and stuff and boats it's really nice and then of course i have to talk about the min the miniatures the figurines yeah particularly the gods and the big guardians um i mean i already described what osiris looks like but they are all really really cool and you know the fact that i even have the tomb of wonders and the divine offerings boxes just shows that like i've gone all in on this game <laughs> oh, yeah. i think like every serious game collector should have like you should feel okay having that game where you just go in and it's and this is more than a game you, it's yeah. like it's a collector's item Yeah, and this is definitely that for me and just as an aside i will also just say like I finally took a, a risk and a dive on this game and decided to um sun drop paint my miniatures yeah. which i was very scared of for a while but i think <laughs> they came out really good and oh, again yeah. i think part of that is just when the quality and the detail on them already is so good yes you really you really can't mess it up and i i mean i just did like a basic sun drop wash which for people who don't know it's just like you do a white or a black base which i did black and then just kind of dry brush over it with very thin paint to get the details yeah but if you look online at what some people have done with their figures in this game it is astounding their works of art yeah it looks like you want to display them yeah um so i just want to give this game a ton of praise for that
1: yeah no absolutely what about you i think there are the first thing I want to mention is just we already talked a little bit about the the actions tracker for the game of how you know you're moving pieces to the end of a tracker and then every time it resets so to speak you trigger an you're event. triggering an event and I th- I it's such a clever mechanic for controlling the tempo of the game and like because i feel like most games where you're choosing different actions you're just choosing whatever actions in that moment benefit you the most mm-hmm. and there's still that calculation in this game but then you have the added wrinkle of like oh if i if i use the move figures this time i'm setting up the player after me to like to trigger an event that's more advantageous for them so I might actually hold off doing that and do my second or third choice, even if it's suboptimal. This this turn, like it might pay off in the long run. There's a lot of yeah. added calculations on which Definitely. which actions you're going to choose in this yeah. game.
0: I mean, I I hate chess, yeah, and yet there is something very chess-like about yes. this game. I think, there particularly is. in a two-player game, that I yes. really like, and and that is really at the core of it. Is that your turns are very much about it's like a constant setup payoff dynamic between yeah. you and the other people at the table. Yeah. What's the worst thing about this game?
1: I hope I'm I'm not stealing this from you, but I think the worst thing about this game is probably the cost. Yes. I mean, it's just a really steep cost especially when you factor in things like you said where you know, the Guardians exclusive expansion isn't even giving you As many Guardians as, like, another expansion.
0: Yeah. I think to get specific about that, so base game, for those of you who may be curious, the standard retail price for the base game is $99, which I think is... That's that's right for what you get in it, considering the figurines, the Mm -hmm. board. It's a pretty big, thick box, high-quality components. That said, you're going to get the 2D cardboard monuments and coins and all that stuff yeah um I think more specifically than the co- and like I will say like base game alone, you can have a really great time. you have five gods, you have all the scenarios, you have tons of replay value, even there. I think the thing that more specifically bothers me is that Simon as a publisher has a bad reputation among some areas of the hobby and you'll see videos and people ranting about this online about specifically the way that they run their big kickstarter projects whether it's these um eric lang um, games or their zombicide campaigns where things are broken up into so many different expansion boxes that just kind of make you have that oh well just one more box just one more box feeling yeah. oh it's only available now and i'll never be able to get it again feeling yeah. and i think that when i think about something like the way that i mean like garfield games runs their kickstarter campaigns where everything is up front everything is available to everybody and you know there's no hiding things or kind of gatekeeping or even when Stonemeyer does things you know like you're always able, even if they run out of a certain product, to like the Wingspan nesting box, it'll be available again, you know? Or like Everdell came out with the Everdell complete collection that, you know what, yes, it's an investment, but it's available for anyone who's a fan of the game who wants it, and you're not being punished to have to go and like, you know, go through the dregs of eBay to find certain parts of the game Oh, that people yeah. are kind of like racketeering just because you missed one Kickstarter. Right. And so I just wish that, you know, That's... there was a little bit more. Yeah. Um,
1: Especially because these Kickstarter yeah. campaigns are often just a couple weeks. It's very easy to yeah, miss them. Exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I think just at the end of the day, like this is something that people are doing for fun. And you should want people to enjoy supporting you and feel loyal to your brand and I would just say, like, as much as I love this game and I, I'm super happy with it, and I think, like, you know, the designer and the artist in particular did such great work, I will never claim to have any kind of brand loyalty or warm feelings to Simon the way I do about Stonemaier games or Garfield games. Because you can just tell when, um, you know, like a, a designer, a publisher has a certain relationship with their customers and when they don't. Oh, yeah. It, That's not even a
1: knock on this game. That's just oh a yeah. Well, it well, well and it's a it's a night and day difference like just just to cite one example of that. I remember when I you know, when I supported the the Kickstarter for Wayfarers of the South Tigris, There were there was one component, I forget what it was, that was missing from the box when I received it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, just sent it, sent an email just saying, "Hey, just wanted to flag this. Would it be possible to get this?" And no problem. Well, not only no problem, but the creator of the game himself emailed me and said like, oh, yeah, we'll get that to you. And yeah, Yeah. it was in the mail, like within a couple days. I had
0: the same thing happen with Scythe and my Everdell complete collection. I mean, I think I don't remember if we talked about it on our Everdell episode, but like not only did they send me a replacement for the broken piece that came in my game, they sent me a sticker and a bookmark as well.
1: Oh yeah, I Which, remember seeing that yeah, bookmark. Like, yeah,
0: and and it's an, they it's didn't have to nice do touch, that, you know. And I just things. wonder, especially yeah. for some of these Kickstarter exclusive pieces. Yeah, imagine that going to Simon and asking them, "Hey, I <laughs> like I broke my Sobek figure. You want to send me another one?" I mean, I don't want to like knock them because I don't know how they would respond. But like, I wouldn't have the same level of confidence that they would send me one because they're like, "Oh boy, those goes those like figures alone go for like thirty dollars on eBay now." So. We can't send you that. It just it gives me that feeling which I don't like in my games. Yeah, that's yeah. fair.
1: As far as similar games mm-hmm. to this one, what comes to mind for you?
0: Um in terms of games that I've actually played, yeah, I'm going to say Scythe.
1: Yes. Um
0: that mix of, you know, area control and combat with like upgrading your own player board and that kind of bidding um, surprise reveal element of the combat. I think it's it's pretty similar. What about you?
1: Blood Rage could also be added to that list yeah. once we've played it. And, I imagine Rising Sun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I th- I mean I think the main takeaway is just a very well balanced riff on area control where it's like the anti-risk. It's not just about like who has
0: the most bodies on the board right and i think especially considering just that scythe has been around for so much longer and in and it is so popular mm-hmm. i think it would more often be the case that this would be an invitation for scythe players to give this game a try yeah rather than the other way around so all the scythe fans out there come to ancient egypt for a minute bring your <laughs> mech over and give it a try
1: <laughs> yeah no that's a good call
0: uh so final score What do you give Ankh, Gods of Egypt?
1: So for me, Ankh is going to be an 8.5. And I think the reason I put it as high as that is, I think the base game for me is maybe an 8. But when you add, admittedly you have to pay for it, but Mm -hmm. when you add in all of the different guardians and all of the different god options, there's like... I'm just blown away by the replay value of this. Like you, you could play this game for months and not delve into everything that it has to offer. And like just thinking about the playtesting and like the game design finesse that it was required to to pull that off. It's really an achievement.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to give it a nine. Mm hmm. Um, I agree with everything you said, and I think that just, even though I haven't played Blood Rage and Rising Sun, this just feels like a game that is a culmination of a designer and an artist's, you know, work. At the top of their game. Yeah, and like, (laughs) they spent a lot of time on and learned a lot from over time. 9 out of 10 from me. I love this game. It was in my top 5. Yeah. And... I look forward to giving Blood Rage a try with you soon.
1: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it too. And uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see what uh, gameplay mechanics carry over between the two.
0: Yeah. Um, and maybe one day we'll even get to Rising Sun, but the problem with that is you need at least three people to play Rising Sun, So, yeah. which, I mean, we could probably find someone, but again, just barrier to entry. So we'll see. But for now... That's all we have on Ankh, Gods of Egypt. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us through another episode of the Global Gamers Podcast. And we'll be back next week. Yeah. Have a good week.
1: Yeah, looking forward to talking with you again soon.